Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, December 8th, 2009. Well into the Advent season, by the way. You know, gotta tell you, um, the uh, whole New Spring story and uh, kind of dealing with some of the fallout of that story. I'm emotionally drained. More details here in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No one, including myself, is exempt from having their teaching regarding the Bible and God being scrutinized in light of God's Word. In fact, I welcome all of you to take what I'm saying in the name of God and compare it to the Word of God. And where I'm wrong, please throw a red flag, uh, challenge me on it, and say, what about this passage? Have you considered this? We have nothing to fear from critique, and uh, I've had to repent from so many different things I thought were biblical teachings that long ago I've given up taking it personally. There's just no point in that. Somebody points something out, and I go, yeah, okay, yeah, I was wrong on that one. What do I do? I repent. And uh, it seems like the older I get, the, the more I realize sound doctrine, good theology, they're not even mine. It's, you know, it's, I subscribe to them and have the position and posture that I'm a sinful human being with all kinds of blind spots in my own ego, blind spots in my sinful nature, blind spots that to make it so that I commit sins that I don't, in in all reality, it, I, I commit sins at times that I'm not even aware of. And uh, that's, that's, shows you just how wretched and depraved we are in our sinful nature that uh, that we could hurt somebody without even realizing that we're doing it that we could so egregiously break God's law that we're not even aware that we're breaking God's law that's those are the sins that frighten me the most anyway we've got an interesting program lined up for you today it'll be a shorter program just by by the fact that we went so long yesterday I think yesterday was our first edition where we clearly went way over three hours and uh, I don't set out to do three hours of radio in a day and that's <laughs> it's tough to do period and so uh, today will be a, a shorter uh, edition of fighting for the faith we're gonna be uh, uh, catching up on some listener email 
And uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be doing here. And then I've got a couple of stories uh, in the news that I want to talk about, specifically uh, conservative Anglicans uh, denouncing the election of a lesbian uh, bishop. Uh, they're claiming that that's uh, unbiblical. We've got a report coming out of uh, which is it? The Barna Group that rec- uh, they d- basically showing the, uh, the future of mainline Protestant churches is not looking so good. And uh, th- that's a story that really should uh, the seeker-driven guys and the purpose-driven guys should be paying attention to, uh, because uh, the seeker-driven guys, purpose-driven guys, uh, they represent uh, where the mainline denominations were back at the turn of the of the twentieth century in the in, in the early part of the twentieth century. The the mainline denominations that were saying that we had to change or die. Uh, uh, and and we had to adapt to the culture and the new cultural norms. Uh, the, that those were that became uh, what we call the mainline denominations now, which is basically becoming a ghost town. And uh, I tell you, you you, you uh, if you marry yourself to revel to uh, to relevance, she's a fickle bride, and she'll be uh, leaving you uh, very shortly after the uh, after the wedding. Just you know, one of the things I've noticed. So. Got some email I want to talk about, but before we get into either email or our stories today, um, and by the way, second hour, we're going to be reviewing a short, brief, good sermon uh, from Pastor Ernie Lastman at Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Always, he's always good for a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, forgiveness of sins, one by Jesus Christ sermon. And uh, after listening to Perry Noble yesterday, I I, I need that, right? <laughs> Right now, I, I need to hear a good biblical and sound uh, Christ-centered sermon. It, my soul longs and, and aches for that. Anyway, with that in mind, uh, we're going to dive into our program proper. Of course, all of our normal uh, things that we say here apply. Make yourself comfortable. Of course, if you want to exercise, feel free. Fuzzy bunny slippers are in line depending on the weather in your region. Of course, in my region of the world, we're experiencing snow. And as a result of it, uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, if I owned a pair, would actually be a a very uh, important thing for me to do right now. Although I do have a very fine pair of uh, uh, moccasin-type, you know, uh, shoes that have some fur lining kind of thing going on to keep my feet warm. Because I'm finding uh, with the snow and the cold weather, uh, the the number one trick that I found to keeping warm is to just keep my feet warm. If I can keep my feet warm, for the most part, the rest of my body stays warm. Just a weird thing I've noticed. Uh, and learning some rules about living in the uh, the northern part of the Midwest, uh, that uh, being one of them, you know. And so, <laughs> anyway, so, and of course, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, we do not have a problem with that. Again, keep in mind the biblical prohibition when it comes to alcohol. Uh, is drunkenness that that's that's where the sin occurs is the sin of drunkenness but engaging in in a sober uh glass of wine or you know bottle of beer not a problem here and uh, we have found that uh, doing so does at times enhance your listener's experience i uh, just want to let you know that all right okay Ref- first of all reflections on the whole perry noble thing Something I didn't expect it has been happening, and uh, and that is is that I have been getting emails from people who are former members of uh, of uh, New Spring Church and you know formerly attended there, and I, I got to tell you, it, these emails are breaking my heart. Um, several of the emails are from people who uh, who had similar, but obviously not to the degree 
uh, of James Duncan, but similar experiences James Duncan had, uh, just abusive, terrible things uh, occur to them at the hands of uh, of the leadership team there at New Spring Church. In fact, I've gotten so many of these emails from people who are former members. I'm convinced that, they're, that the folks there in Anderson, South Carolina, are probably going to end up forming some kind of support group of people who've survived New Spring Church. I mean, that's how bad it is. And the ones that really break my heart are, are the emails I've gotten from people who've said that, you know, after having these terrible, abusive things happen to them at New Spring, that they're no longer attending uh, churches anymore, that they haven't been to a church since. And, um, you know, I did not expect to be getting those types of emails, uh, nor in the quantities that I'm receiving them. And um, I got to tell you, folks, uh, it not only does it break my heart, but it it completely renews uh, my thinking uh, about the importance of sound biblical pastors who understand that their job is to be the under shepherd of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and to feed and care for Christ's sheep. And one of the things that I am just taken aback by is uh, the attitude of men like Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, and other seeker-driven pastors. Uh, they, they run so roughshod over uh over Christ's sheep uh that you know that I don't even think they really realize that that's what they're tasked to do is to care and tend Christ's sheep they're not their sheep they're Christ's sheep the church is made up of Christ's Christ's sheep his body his uh, I mean these are people for whom Christ died for and so, uh, you know, again, the biblical warning for those who want to teach in the church, who want to be leaders in the church, that they will be judged more strictly really comes to mind. And it's sobering. And um, in some senses, it brings me back to the fear of the Lord. It brings me back to the fear of the Lord and, and, and you know, keeps me in a very humble position here at Fighting for the Faith because, you know, I'm not fighting for any faith. This is the this is the faith once delivered to the saints. This is the faith that is revealed in Jesus Christ. We're dealing with holy and sacred things when when we're dealing with God's word. We're dealing with holy and sacred things when we're dealing with sinners and uh, and calling them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name. And so those of you who are former members of New Spring and you've left the church for the reasons that you've left them. And and if you haven't found another church home, may I kindly and lovingly encourage you to not let this, your bad experience, be the last word. As Christian men and women, you need to hear the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, and you need to be fed God's word and come back and partake in the Lord's table. Uh, these are gifts you know, f- to us from our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I cannot encourage you enough to, um, to find, find uh, a Christ-centered, cross-focused, gospel-driven church in Anderson where you can go 
and uh, and find a shepherd who, who who will heal your wounds, who will apply the gospel to the wounds that you've been in, that that you've endured uh, at New Spring. I I cannot tell you enough how important that is, and um, and I want to let you all that have emailed me know that. Uh, you are in my prayers, and now that I've mentioned this on the air, you're you are in the prayers of uh, of the uh, the listeners of Fighting for the Faith, and uh, I again, it's the, just I'm emotionally drained in in reading these emails, and and uh, and and my heart, my my prayers go out to you, and at the same time, and at the same time, my prayers go out to Perry Noble. And um, the reason my prayers go out to Perry Noble is because the scriptures make it so clear that we do not battle against flesh and blood. You know that um, that when we uh, when we go to battle when it comes to, against false doctrine and rebuking those who are teaching things that are not in the scripture or teaching false doctrine or twisting God's word. In a very real sense, we're not fighting them; we're fighting for them. We're fighting for them, and so um, you know, I, I look at this at these statements that continue to come out of Perry Noble that continue to come uh, from this man, and I can't help but weep. I can't help but feel a holy sorrow that this man is uh, doing the things that he's doing and saying the things that he's saying, and so cavalierly. Uh, rebelling against what God's word tells him to do, what God's word instructs him to do, and and so cavalierly twists God's word, and and it's so obvious uh, from the emails that I've been getting today that uh, that the fruit of what he's been doing uh, is definitely changed lives. Unfortunately, uh, many of the lives that have been changed by Perry Noble have not been these are the the, the life change hasn't been positive. These are people who've been. Who, in some senses, have had their faith shipwrecked uh, by what is by what he's done, and so my prayer, my deep and sincere prayer for Perry Noble, is that God would open his eyes, that God would grant him repentance, and that he would receive the forgiveness of sins won by Christ for these egregious sins that he's committed uh, in his leadership in attacking and persecuting Christ's sheep uh in twisting God's word and uh, and uh, and profaning and that's the right way of putting it profaning the very word of God uh through what he's done and um what I want to do real quick here is I want to replay a soundbite that uh, is making its way across the internet I did put a, a a museum piece up at the Museum of Idolatry uh, that you know, with this content in there, and the reason I did it, if you remember back to yesterday's sermon review, uh, it was actually a lecture or seminar review of uh, Perry Nobles, where he was addressing literally two thousand pastors uh, who had who had attended his Unleashed conference uh, earlier this year, and when he went into his the segment where he talks about uh, jackasses. And he talks about the two types of jackasses. The first type was the bloggers and those who critique him. And specifically, he was mentioning me without mentioning me by name. And, um, you know, listen, I, it doesn't bother me if somebody calls me a jackass. It's in, in some instances, when, when I receive that particular rebuke, 
there are times when that is actually a correct assessment. <laughs> so I, it doesn't bother me when somebody calls me a jackass. And so, I, you know, you just you kind of roll with the, these kind of ad hominem attacks. But the second jackass that uh, Perry mentioned was the person in his church that was complaining that he wanted deeper preaching and wanted more worship. That's the one that really needs to be reexamined and taken a look at. And it does it, it does allow me to kind of uh, to address some of the things that he said again, although I've addressed similar comments by other people. Uh, here at Fighting for the Faith, I want to readdress it and kind of show why this is a completely non-biblical way for a pastor to be talking, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So here again is uh, Pastor Perry Noble. It's a 52nd, uh, 52nd, 56 second long, sorry, 56 second long soundbite here, and I'm not going to interrupt it. I'm going to play it in it, that, you know, just play this bite again and then come back and, and address some of the things that he brings up in here. So here is Pastor Perry Noble. You say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep? Deep? Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Okay, so that's the soundbite. Wow, just you know, it's it's breathtaking to hear. It's absolutely breathtaking to hear. Let's let's kind of pull this apart in two pieces. Uh, one dealing with what he said about the person, the the quote jackass, and that's what he calls the person, the jackass who says he wants to go deeper into God's word, wants to hear deeper preaching. Uh, because he's sick and tired of the shallow self-help pop psychology uh, strung together out of context versus life principles uh, type preaching that they're getting from Perry Noble, which all is consistent with the seeker-driven method of preaching because you preach to you know for felt needs. Um, first of all, the, the the catch was that you, you already said there, you know, t- deeper. Let's take a look at your tithing record. Most people are educated beyond their obedience. This. Attitude conveys a complete lack of understanding of God's law and even of God's word. God's word is not a book of principles that you apply to your life and obey in order to make yourself pleasing to God. Uh, that's not it at all. And here's the deal. is This isn't even a valid biblical argument because the biblical argument is, is what does God's word say regarding the job of a pastor? And the job description could not be clearer. The job of a fat pastor is to preach the word in season and out of season and to feed God's sheep. That's that's plain and simple. In, in a nutshell, what the job of a pastor is, 
to ex- to proclaim and teach sound doctrine, to rebuke those who contradict it. Those are all aspects of the job of a pastor. And so here's the deal. Nowhere in Scripture do you hear um, a, a, you know, the, the pastor's being told, now here's God's word, and what you do is you dole it out in small increments, and you don't give people more of God's word until they've learned to obey and apply uh, the the previous uh, uh, pieces of God's word that you have that you've been preaching. Okay, that is all law. There is no gospel to that. And if that were the case, then nobody could ever merit on their based on their own righteousness. Uh, they could never merit the right to hear more of God's word. So what basically Perry, what he said, and and let me replay this little segment by itself, and you kind of see what I'm saying here. Um, basically, he's basically, it, this is a formula for despair because you can never earn the right to hear God's word in depth in his church because you you can't keep the law perfectly. Um, hang on a second here. It might... There we go. You say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. You see, this is completely a non-biblical argument. This is completely a non-biblical argument. The, the biblical argument is, Pastor, here's what God's word says your job is to do. You are to preach the full counsel of the word of God. You are to preach the word in season and out of season, in full depth. His, nowhere in his biblical job description does it say that he's to evaluate the obedience level of his sheep prior to, dis, to determining whether or not they are worthy enough to hear God's word in depth. That is not a biblical category. This is just legalistic uh, self-righteousness in, in, in a, it applied in a very, very evil and wicked way. Like I said, uh, if, if you have to earn the right to hear more of God's word or to hear God's word in depth, then you'll never have the right to hear God's word. But we're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And pastors are called to feed God's sheep and to preach the word in season and out of season, to give careful instruction and sound doctrine. That requires depth and biblical precision. And so when Pastor Noble is hearing from the, quote, jackasses, that they, that they, they, want, they want to have more depth, hear more depth in his preaching, they are not saying we want to hear things that we don't understand and be confused by so that we don't have to apply it. That is that is absolutely ludicrous and evil and wicked of him to say such a thing. Instead, what he's hearing are people that he's hearing from sheep, God's sheep who's been placed under his care, and they are saying, Pastor, you're not doing your job. I'm starving. I'm hungering for God's word. And you pastors out there that listen to this program, if someone were to come to you and say, Pastor, I really want more, I want to hear more depth, and I want to go deeper in God's word, you wouldn't rebuke that person. You would be thank you'd be falling on your knees and thanking and praising God for a, a, such a person. This is somebody who's hungering and 
thirsting after God's word. What does the psalm say? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. The person who comes to his pastor and says they want more depth and they want more worship is somebody whom God is their desire. And that's what happens when somebody is given the, the gift of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. They are given a new heart. Their hearts are circumcised by Christ. They are, that heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit indwells them. They are a new creation in Christ. And as a result of the powerful regenerative working of the preaching of the gospel, those persons, those people whom God has regenerated, who Christ has given repentance and the forgiveness of sins to, they have a new appetite in Christ. And that appetite is focused in on the object of their worship, their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And their soul longs after Christ and to worship him and to know the things of him. And so when when a when a person in a church comes to a pastor and says I want more depth or I want more worship they're expecting they they are wanting the very things that their soul longs after because that's what God has put in their heart and for them to be called a jackass for them to be to be cavalierly accused of something evil is absolute evil and wickedness itself this is not what Christ wants his pastors to be doing. And this is not how the good shepherd wants his under shepherd shepherds to be treating his sheep. Now listen to this again to this next part. You know, oh. Deep. Deep. Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. Oh, this is just so evil. It's so wrong. This is not, this, you're not hearing the voice of Jesus Christ to this man who is a supposedly Christian pastor. Th this is just legalistic bondage. I want more worship. So you come, you have a person come to church and they say to the pastor, I want more worship. Isn't church the place where you can expect that Christ is exalted? Isn't church the place where you can expect that you're going to have deep and profound and meaningful biblically grounded, doctrinally rich worship of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't church the place where you're supposed to be worshiping God? Where that's supposed to be the natural thing that comes about as a receiving of the forgiveness of sins in Christ? As our thank you and praise for the great things that he has done for us? Isn't church supposed to be the place where you worship God? Listen to this. You got six other days. 
I mean, reading between the lines, you could listen. You got six other days when you can worship God. Don't come here on Sunday expecting that you can worship God here on Sunday. Are you out of your mind? Folks, this is 180 degrees backwards. This is calling evil good and good evil. This is not the voice of our caring and loving, gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, who says that he does not want to break the bruised reed, who will not extinguish that low that low candle flame. Oh. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here... Listen to this. It's so accusing. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, you wouldn't complain about the worship. It wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Oh, man. These are the most troubling words that I've heard. Out of anything I've ever heard Perry Noble say, these are the most troubling. Critics are demonized. God's sheep are beaten for saying, I'm hungry and want to worship God. This is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. And folks, we need to be on our faces petitioning our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, on behalf of Perry Noble and on behalf of the sheep that God has placed under his care, praying that God would open his eyes, grant him repentance, bring him to his knees in contrition and penitence for this evil wickedness. Because that's all this is. It's This is terrible. The under-shepherds of the great shepherd are not called to beat God's sheep for saying that they're hungry and want to worship the king. My heart and my prayers go out to Perry Noble and to all the people at New Spring Church. May God grant them a restful pasture, a place to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word and to be fed and to receive the cool, refreshing waters of the forgiveness of sins offered in the gospel. Again, pray, pray, pray. Even now, may our, our God can work a miracle and grant repentance to Perry Noble for this evil wickedness, because that's what this is. We're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook too. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there again, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. 
So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. timing yeah I just don't have rhythm <laughs> that you know my favorite song of all time is uh, weird Al Yankovic's uh, white and nerdy yeah I just it describes me to a T all right, thank you. I uh, need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and uh, we are calling on you to join our Fighting for the Faith pirate Christian radio crew as a means of supporting us. It's a mere $6.95 a month, and you can join by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button, and uh, when you do, soon after that, you should receive an email from COVID, piratechristianradio.com. Uh, giving you access to our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove. It's a secret treasure trove of growing, plundered theological resources designed to help you go deeper in God's Word, into sound biblical doctrine, theology, and it's from across the different ages of uh, Christian history. And like I said previously, I'm in the process of uh, basically doing a huge dump of uh, stuff in there. I'll be putting that in there shortly of uh, of new resources uh, that you definitely do not want to miss. So uh, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on Join Our Crew. It's a mere $6.95 a month. Of course, if you'd like to donate a flat amount, you can support us uh, that way by clicking on our Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, we're, we're going to do some email for right now. I'm going to save the news stories for tomorrow. I've got so much email here, it's going to take me a while to catch up. First email comes from uh, our unofficial fact checker. That would be uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And uh, we've reviewed two of his sermons here at Fighting for the Faith, and this guy can preach. And I am so thankful uh, that, uh, to you know, I consider myself to be a friend of Pastor Charmley, even though we have not met and I consider him to be a dear Christian brother, and this man preaches Christ and him crucified. And I thank the Lord that uh, we have a witness to Christ in the gospel uh, so boldly and so eloquently proclaimed uh, through the preaching of Pastor Charmley. And uh, those of you who live in the U.K. and, you, uh, and you're on your way to hear him preach, please don't email me to rub it in that you actually get to go. <laughs> hear him preach. It, that's just cruelty. Just It's, it's cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I've got I've got a, a few emails from Pastor Charmley. I'm just going to kind of roll them up into one and uh, talk about some of the things that he's talking about here. Um, uh, regarding the uh, let's see, what's the what's the, the eternal life? Pastor Charmley had to disagree with me. Can you believe this? See, I actually disagreed with something he said. Now he has to turn around and disagree with something I said. Although this is a great biblical case, he says, "Hey, Chris, uh, dear Chris, uh, sorry to have to say this." But I must correct your use of the language of eternal life. The Bible only uses eternal life when it comes to believers. It's more accurate to say that we will all exist eternally 
and that we will all have an eternal existence. But eternal life is more than that. It is fellowship with God forever. See, Daniel 12, for example, where everlasting life is contract, uh, contrasted with everlasting contempt. And, you know, Pastor Charlie, that is a fantastic point. And uh, the, what he's referring to is in a recent edition of Fighting for the Faith, I had talked about the fact that we all live forever, that all of us will have, quote, eternal life. But uh, that's not – there's a, I was missing a biblical nuance there that I am you – know, that I'm happy that Pastor Charlie brought this up. So here's the deal. Every human being will exist forever. Pastor Charmley is absolutely correct. Every human being will exist forever. And, uh, but not everyone will have, quote, eternal life. There will be those who go to eternal punishment or eternal condemnation. And it is eternal. And they will exist forever, forever, under the wrath of God. And uh, those uh, who have received the gift of God of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, who have been given faith, um, they will uh, they will exist forever in eternal life in God's good graces and His blessing, uh, in life everlasting, on a new heaven, new in a you know in a new heaven and a new earth, uh, forever. And so, you, Pastor Charmley, your 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 subtle uh, contour of Christian doctrine here is duly noted, and uh, and uh, I appreciate the uh, reminder of that. I completely agree with you. All right, here, let me see. I did ask the question, uh, this is about the Amplified Bible. I had asked the question uh, on a previous edition of Fighting for the Faith, why is it that the the prosperity guys, the prosperity heretics, seem to be so enamored with the Amplified Bible? I don't know what the deal is with that. I couldn't figure it out. And uh, Pastor Charmley has has an idea regarding this, and and here's what he says. Regarding the Amplified Bible, I have an idea why the prosperity people like the Amplified. It commits one of their favorite errors, and that's the illegitimate totality transfer. Okay, (laughs) well, you're sitting there going, what is the illegitimate totality transfer? Well, I'm glad you asked. Pastor Charmley does answer. He says, rather than learning Greek, these prosperity heretics, they use Strong's and they import the whole of Strong's definition into the word, even though only one definition is actually correct. As I type, I'm making the notes for a Sunday sermon on Daniel 12 and the resurrection. By the way, I would love to hear that if you could like to pass that uh, Daniel 12 sermon along. I would <clears throat> enjoy hearing it. He says, of course, the bloke can declare healing in the house. It, it, he's referring to uh, this prosperity guy who was declaring uh, his church to be cancer-free. Uh, you know, he, he says, uh, this this pastor, this bloke, can declare healing in the house, and I can declare that I'm a millionaire. It doesn't do anything, mind you. And uh, <laughs> great point. So the re- so Pastor Charmley, his idea as to why the uh, prosperity heretics like the Amplified is that it commits uh, the error of illegitimate the illegitimate totality transfer, basically pouring into each word the entire definition, uh, which is not how you do uh, Greek translation work at all. Context does dictate at times what specific uh, meaning of of a particular Greek word is to be understood there. And you don't pour all of the different meanings of a word into into one. It's kind of ridiculous. And then finally, Pastor Charmley says, uh, he wrote on Sunday, he says, Sunday is not a, a day of rest for ministers. I, I'm fully aware of that. He says, I'm just between two sessions of preaching Christ and him crucified and listening to your last podcast program. Listening to your worship can change the world. <laughs> your worship can change the world. Remember that sermon? Yeah, your worship can change the world. 
Uh, he says, it reminds me of an old ruined church close to the house where I grew up. The ruined tower was used as a nesting place by pigeons. And as you stood in the grassy nave of the building, you can hear the soft cooing of the pigeons. Well, this sermon reminds me of that. That, that By the way, this is the Your Worship Can Change the World sermon from Journey Church, a, a purpose-driven, seeker-driven church in New York City. He says, so he says, how, how, how does this sermon, how can that, that sermon remind you of pigeons or the soft cooing of pigeons? He says, how so? He says, well, you know the sound that pigeons make, don't you? Do, 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 do. Yeah, that's exactly right. Do, do. Exactly. Fancy getting people to rate themselves at anything. And, and what a feeble way to preach Acts. I, I'm preaching through Acts at the moment, and I, I just finished Acts chapter 6 on Stephen and the Freedmen which uh, concentrated on the gospel, on Jesus, on pardon of sin and the stupidity of refusing it. Daniel 12 tonight, the last judgment, the fact that everything will be all right for Christians in the end. Oh, Pastor Charmley, I'm sure the, pa- the, 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 the people that God has placed under your care, uh, his sheep are blessed to uh, have such a pastor who would preach Christ and preach the gospel and preach that even in you know the end times as scary as they may be that in the end it's going to be great for us christians because we are in christ right now i got i got i gotta confess something here you remember i talked about wax eloquent or waxing eloquently i got that anonymous email from somebody who sent me to that sent me to a page where somebody was talking about how you know wax eloquent was not the proper way of putting it I have received more emails on the whole wax eloquent thing than I care to to number. It's quite the controversy. I had no idea that uh, you know that would spark such an inundation of email on the topic. So I do not have the ability to respond to all of the wax eloquent emails. Instead, I take a sampling of two on the topic and those of you who have sent me emails regarding waxing eloquently or wax eloquent i appreciate the email and i found two emails that i think uh, basically do a good representation of uh, representing you if you would on the subject uh james uh, blasius writes he says according to my daughter who knows these things wax in wax eloquent is actually a linking verb and thus it can't actually uh, it, it can't actually buy an adverb okay instead it needs a predicate adjective oh man which is what eloquent would be in this case it also it could also be followed by predicate nominative whatever that is uh, predicate nominative um an example of uh, it, it, it predicate nominative is where the uh, the verb and the noun kind of, you know, they're interchangeable. You know, it, example of, of predicate nominative construction, I think, is when Jesus, uh, he's, uh, he, uh, the night when he's betrayed, took bread, he said, take, eat, this is my body. Uh, you know, th- this is my body takes that, that's predicate nominative uh, construction there. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent. He says, he says, anyway, which makes sense. Uh, one wouldn't say the baby grew happily because you are not describing growth or waxing. Instead, the baby is becoming more happy. So wax away, James writes. And then <clears throat> the um, grammar Nazi himself, that's how he, what he calls himself, uh, <laughs> Andrew Deloach Esquire. Uh, of the uh, of the Take the Stand uh, radio program here at Pirate Christian Radio. He wrote, and he says, uh, 
Now, as you may already know, I am an avid fan of prescriptive linguistics. I did not know this. Uh, well, you've meant you. I didn't realize the depth of your avid fanness of prescriptive linguistics. He says, some call me a grammar Nazi, though I prefer to refer to myself as a snoot, an acronym for, <laughs> oh man, sprockenful necessitates our ongoing tendons. Oh man, or syntax nundix of our time. In other words, I'm a fanatic about usage. Okay. He says, thus it was with great dismay that I recently listened to you capitulate with out much fight to the use of your favorite phrase, wax eloquent. Which, by the way, that's really the way I prefer to say it, wax eloquent. And uh, I just like the way it sounds. It rolls off the tongue so well. Anyways, it says, now I do not wish to disparage the listener who, out of concern, attempted to correct your usage of the phrase. I commend the courage it must have taken to write the email to you in the first place. Uh, but I do want to correct that correction. <laughs> This is hilarious. Wax means, one, to increase in strength or importance. Two, to grow or become. The word is used primarily in sense one as a uh, a correlative of wane. Example, her influence waxed and waned. In sense two, it appears in cliches such as to wax poetic, to wax eloquent, etc. See Garner's Modern American Usage 2009. Hence, to wax eloquent means simply to become eloquent. Uh, Although your concerned listener was partially correct in that verbs are modified with adverbs, wax eloquent is a perfectly acceptable idiom. An idiom is an expression that is widely used and accepted despite being illogical or formally ungrammatical. Wax eloquent has been in use since at least 1824, and the uh, the use of wax in this specific sense goes as far back as A.D. 897. I knew I was into tradition and old things. Anyway, he says, your listener was incorrect, however, in insisting that wax eloquent should never be used and that the proper phrase is waxing eloquently. Your listener has gone astray, first of all, in assuming that waxing means speaking, uh, which it does not. If it did, uh, waxing eloquently would mean speaking fluently. But as I've pointed out, wax means to grow or to become. Thus, waxing eloquently would be an awkward way of describing what you state of becoming is eloquent. <laughs> you would be saying that you are eloquently becoming. In the same way that waxing poetically would mean that you are poetically becoming. But you're not attempting to describe the quality of your becoming. Rather, you are trying to say that you are becoming more eloquent. It is rather like the incorrect phrase, I feel badly. Uh, to feel badly is not to have a headache, but to uh, to be incapable of effectively using your tactile organs. Example, when your fingers are numb, you can't manipulate small tools. Likewise, waxing eloquently is to fluently and articulately become. Obviously, this is this is nonsense. With all due respect to your loyal and caring listener, wax eloquent is proper and acceptable. Waxing eloquently is incorrect and should be avoided. Respectfully, uh, Andrew uh, R. Deloach, Esquire. (laughs) HTTP, takethestand.typepad.com. Crux sola est nostra theologica, uh, uh, theologia, that means uh, the cross alone is our our theology. Thank you, uh, uh, Andrew. I will uh, bow to your uh, snootiness or your to your uh, grammar naziness and 
happily re-embrace what really is my favorite new term, wax eloquent. And uh, I will no longer be waxing eloquently as that apparently through your well-argued email is nonsense. (laughs) I still am absolutely floored by how much email I have received on that issue. I mean, I'm serious. Out of all the things that we cover here at Fighting for the Faith, that one by far has been the thing that has taken the uh, people's emails to, to a whole new level. I, uh, <sighs> all right. Moving along uh, to, uh, from Ray in Long Beach, California. He writes, uh, hey, Chris, I, I really hit on, uh, you really hit on a key issue of what makes these sermons so bad when you mentioned Christ taking murder far beyond the actual act. He's referring to a sermon review where uh, I, I think this was the... Uh, uh, the sermon of the sermons of Christmas, the the ghost of sermons Christmas past was our first one there, and I reviewed a uh, uh, a Christmas sermon that was, just was really bad, and in there I talked about how murder was more than just actually committing the act, and uh, was referring to how Christ refers to it. It's it, murder really begins in the heart, and um, and Christ was pointing that out. Anyway, he's, uh, Ray continues, he says, they take something that could be used to deliver a good dose of law and instead they turn it to self-improvement and self-help garbage. Yeah, exactly. Herod could have been a, a great example of us as sinners. Herod was a was paranoid over the safety of his kingdom, threatened by the coming of Jesus and wanted to kill the Savior. As sinners from birth, we are not neutral toward God, but hate him as well. We're paranoid over the safety of our kingdoms and threatened by what Christ would do to to it and, and us if he had his way, so we naturally oppose him. Ray, that is a brilliant point. That, uh, that uh, I, uh, dude, kudos to you. A, a great, great use of law here. Uh, in that Ghost of Sermons, uh, uh, Christmas Sermons Pass, mentioning the history of Herod would have been a perfect springboard, and that is just killer law on your part. Great, great point. He says, Herod was a murderer and an adulterer, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I think he had 10 wives. And uh, he says, as you pointed out, and do we not lust and covet in our hearts? Do we not hate and hold grudges and stay angry and bitter at those who wrong us? Do we not gossip about those we dislike or just in general spread dirt about others that we that we that when we have it? As Jesus and his apostles state, these are all on the same level as actually committing adultery and murder. This pastor missed a great opportunity to really crush those listening with the law and then give them the sweet gospel message of Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection for us. The only good thing I can say is that he makes me appreciate even more the pastor than I have who understands what God has called him to do. Lord, have mercy. Ray from Long Beach. Fantastic point, Ray. Well said, well stated. Again, I, I, should, be, I should give you table talk radio points. I mean, that, if, never mind. All right, last one uh, comes from Carl in Springboro, Ohio. And he writes, he says, Hello, Chris, I always enjoy your program. Uh, this is in response to the December 3rd podcast. Some great stuff in there, including the tes- uh, testimony of the transformed life not being the gospel. 
There are a lot of evangelical churches that need to hear that one. I've been in services where the entire time was dedicated to testimonies. Very painful. And he says, I agree with you on your take with regard to the English bishop who was also uh, who was all torqued off about Christmas carols. I'm not too bent out of shape about those carols either, nor do I agree with the energy spent uh, by the AFA who waste their time promoting boycotts of companies who won't put the word Christmas in their ads. My thought, who cares? I agree that it's a total waste of time trying to get secular businesses to recognize Christmas in their advertising. There is no eternal value in their efforts, as you mentioned. I finally got off uh, the AFA mailing list altogether. But in addition to all of those issues regarding Christmas, what I have uh, w- what I would have liked to have heard from you as the fighter for the faith is that Christmas itself is a totally bogus holiday and that we Christians shouldn't be celebrating in the first place. There is not one word of scriptures that supports that we should celebrate this holiday, and there is a whole lot of evidence regarding the pagan influence and origins of Christmas, including the date of, of, of December 25th itself. Don't get me wrong. I've always loved the Christmas holiday for all the reasons uh, that most people love it. The list would be too long to mention, but I have also loved a lot of other things that I have been required to abandon since I have made a commitment to separate myself from the things of this world. It's hard to let go of long-standing traditions, especially those that have always been shrouded with Christmas uh, Christian undertones, but which, in fact, are nothing more than pure paganism wrapped up in a nice package that Christians will buy into. In my opinion, this will be a great topic of discussion for your program. You might take a few, make a few enemies, but you may also spark a flame in those who want nothing to do with the trappings of this world, those who desire to glorify God and our Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua and reject the way of an apostate, worldly-influenced church. May God bless your work and your program. Program. Sincerely, Carl from Springboro, Ohio. Now, Carl, first of all, I, I want to make it clear that I completely understand your position. And, and that being said, I'm in, I'm in disagreement re- regarding your conclusions. First of all, I'll grant you that in, uh, in, pagan's time, in pagan times past, September, uh, December 25th was celebrated in the Roman Empire as the Saturnalia Festival. And back in those in those days, December twenty fifth was the shortest day of the year. That was the uh, the not, it was the equinox. I, you, you get what I'm saying. That was the shortest day of the year, and uh, and because of the changes that have occurred in the calendar, um, you know that no the, the winter solstice was I think is the is the name for it. Uh, the 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 winter solstice has moved to the twenty second rather than the twenty fifth, and completely agree that in times past. Uh, Christmas, the way it has been celebrated, um, if you look at how it was celebrated from, you know, the early part of the medieval period all the way through to the Renaissance, what you find is, is that it, it, it had, it was a raucous, uh, celebration, much to the, uh, similar to what you experience in, uh, in Mardi Gras down in, uh, New Orleans, completely agree with you in fact what's funny is is that uh, the uh, I, th- I think if i understand my hi- if i remember my history right uh the early uh, puritans and pilgrims who came to the united states they did not initially celebrate christmas it was not part of their thing and they they were reacting against uh what they had seen christmas become that being the case and also by the way december 25th i, I not not to burst anyone's bubble but jesus was actually not born on December 25th, um, I've seen some good historical uh, kind of piece together works that put Jesus's uh, uh, birth, you know, somewhere in the summer in July. 
Um, that being the case, um, I still think it's within Christian freedom to celebrate and to recognize uh, Christmas as a holiday. Um, and that, and that, and and so here's the deal. The reason why I celebrate it, and I celebrate Christmas so that I myself can celebrate and worship God the way the shepherds did, the way the Magi did. For me, it doesn't matter what the date is. And December 25th is a fine date. And I don't have a problem with Christians hijacking a pagan festival and pouring into it true biblical meaning. And for me, Christmas time is that time where I can sit in awe like the shepherds at the singing of the angels and say, what is this thing that has occurred in Bethlehem? Come, let us come and see. For unto us is born a Savior, Christ our Lord. I don't have a problem with with celebrating Christmas on December 25th. And if... You don't, and if you don't want to celebrate it on December twenty fifth, that you you're perfectly free within your Christian Christian conscience uh, to either celebrate Christmas or to not celebrate Christmas. What I would say is that as Christians, when we celebrate Christmas, that we not be caught up in the consumerism, in the ridiculous thing that it has become. In so many ways, Christmas is so farcical. I mean, I, I, I get so frustrated when the day after Halloween, all the Christmas uh, commercials start appearing on, on television telling me of my patriotic uh, capitalistic duty to go out and spend oodles of money to keep the economy going, which in many ways, that's what this holiday has become. Um, my wife and I have not exchanged gifts on Christmas in years, Part, partly because for us, the big thing on Christmas Day is getting in the car and going to church and singing of God in human flesh come to save us, of the God nursing at the breast of Mary. That, to me, is deep and profound. Yeah, we've got a Christmas tree. Yes, our house is decorated with Christmas lights. But the lights, the presents, those are all really, really a poor shadow of the real gift. And the real gift is that we have a Savior the promised King of kings and Lord of lords, Yahweh himself in human flesh, come to rescue us. Rescue us from sin, death, and the devil by dying on the cross for our sins. And so, in so many ways, in Jesus' birth, we see the reflection and we see him already on his way to the cross. The wood of the manger cannot help but remind us cannot help but remind us of his hands and pierced, his hands and pierced side and his pierced feet and the crown of thorns pressed upon his head and the wounds and the blows that he endured for us. That baby in the manger came to die for you and came to die for me. And 
I can't help but want to worship my great God and King and to celebrate Christmas. It is truly one of the greatest celebrations that ever could be enjoyed. It's a gift itself. Christmas is the gift, for it is about Christ. And so I understand what that it's a dubious holiday. And yet, when I worship on Christmas, it's not the gifts, it's not the consumerism, it's the baby in the manger there for me. Because I need a Savior. I am a sinner. Without that baby in the manger, without that baby nursing at the breasts of Mary, I have no hope. None whatsoever. The only thing I can look forward to is standing before God naked in my righteousness, which is nothing, and only hearing condemnation and judgment from him as he informs me that I don't make the grade, as he sends me into the lake of fire, into hell, because that's what I've earned. That's what I deserve. Instead, I prefer to worship the baby in the manger along with the shepherds, those great unwashed, rough, illiterate, backwoods shepherds. I can relate to them. In a lot of ways, I'm one of them too. So, yeah. It's not, quote, a legitimate holiday. And yet, it is. Because the first Christmas was celebrated. The first Christmas and the worship of the baby at the manger was inaugurated by nothing less than the very angels of God who announced the arrival of our God and King. So, that's my response. Again, we have the freedom to either celebrate or not celebrate. And I will choose to use the freedom that God has given me in Christ to worship and to remember the amazing story of God breaking into our earth the mess that we've created, the sin and the suffering and the death that we've created as a result of our rebellion against God, and God not being content to throw us all into hell, but breaking into humanity, being found in a manger, being found in human flesh, and going to the cross for me and for you. We are up on our second break, and when we come back, we're going to do a sermon review, and it's a good one, and I hope that you will find it edifying. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. We will be right back.
We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. two of fighting for the faith straight ahead here actually we're well into hour number two i can't hit a hard break to save my life i'm gonna be doing a good sermon review and it is not a long one Go ahead and dive right into it. All right, the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. This one happens to be excellent. Yeah, it's, I know it's neither good, bad, or ugly. When you say excellent, it's like a new category, and it completely messes up the theme. I, I'm tired. <laughs> anyway, this uh, sermon comes to us uh, via Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. The Reverend Ernie Lassman. This is his uh, sermon from this past Sunday, the second Sunday in Advent. And it's going to be preached 
The gospel text is taken from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'll tell you what, I'm going to kill the music here. All right, I'm going to kill the music. There we go. I'm going to kill the music, and what we're going to do is I'm going to read to you the gospel uh, the gospel text for this sermon. It's Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Advent is, uh, if you're familiar with uh, liturgical lectionaries and, uh, and uh, those types of churches that follow the lectionary, many times the Advent texts are about John the Baptist. Or John the Baptist, every year, seems to make an appearance uh, when it comes to Advent for good reason. Uh, because uh, John the Baptist was God's chosen instrument to prepare the way of Jesus Christ in his ministry. And uh, and so we come back to this enigmatic guy who is not seeker-driven or seeker-friendly at all. And, uh, in fact, we read this text from Luke chapter 3. We read, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eutria, uh, and uh, Trachonitis, and Lysanias, and tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall come, become straight and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the gospel text that forms the basis of uh, Pastor Ernie Lastman's sermon that you are about to hear. Here is Pastor Lastman. The name of the sermon is Prepare the Way of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon for this morning is based upon our gospel lesson, and especially verses 1 through 6. My fellow redeemed in Christ, as always in this season of Advent, we are thinking about preparing for Christmas. And we all know that such preparations are necessary, or we just won't be ready. Perhaps we've learned that the hard way. There are gifts to buy, dinners to plan, trees to decorate, events to schedule. And we always know how good it feels when we have been ready. There's a sense of satisfaction that all is done and everything has worked out well. Unfortunately, as you know, for many people, these are the only kinds of preparations that they will make for Christmas. Only external preparations that really don't have that much to do with the real meaning of Christmas. And I suppose that that can happen to us as well. And yet at this time of the year, we always hear from a really good, dear friend. Good, dear friend by the name of John. John the Baptist. I call him a good friend because he simply won't let us get away with such superficial preparations for Christmas. Each and every Advent season, this great friend of our John reminds us that we need to prepare in a different way for Christmas. 
And not only for Christmas, but for his return at the end of the world to judge the living and the dead. So then let us listen once again to our good friend John as he cries out in these pre-Christmas days of Advent, prepare the way of the Lord. John reminds us each and every year that we can be prepared for the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem and his return at the end of the world to judge us only as our hearts have been prepared to receive him as our Lord and our Savior from sin and death. If that happens, of course, then we'll be ready for both Christmas and for the Judgment Day. But we might ask, why is it so important to meet Jesus? And we learned this morning because he is God. Isn't that the real wonder of Christmas? Isn't that the real miracle of Christmas? God becomes man. The word becomes flesh. John quotes the prophet Isaiah, who says, prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, prepare the way for God. How do I know that? Because in the Hebrew that John quotes from the prophet Isaiah, it literally says, prepare the way for Yahweh. That's God. That's Jesus. God in human form. And we even see this in our Old Testament lesson where God himself is speaking. And so God says, behold, I send my messenger, that would be John, and he will prepare the way before me. John would prepare the way before God. Therefore, we prepare for the coming of Jesus, whether at Christmas or in our hearts or at the end of the world, because Jesus is God. This is the wonder of Christmas. This is the marvel of Christmas. God becomes one of us. And I must tell you, I fear sometimes that we really don't reflect on this as much as we could or as we should. The early church really reflected on such a wonderful miracle. Think about it. The God who made this vast, complex universe simply out of nothing by willing and speaking it into existence has become one of us. The God who is pure spirit, pure mind, has become one of us. The God who is all-powerful and all-knowing has become one of us. The God who is present everywhere has become one of us. Truly, by any standard, this is amazing. And this is why we are to prepare for his coming into our hearts to be our Savior, because the coming of this Jesus at Bethlehem does us no good if he's not in our hearts. And we will not be able to stand before him on the judgment day if he's not in our hearts. I prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ because he is God. But there's more also. We are to prepare for his coming because of what he brings us. And what is it he brings us? The forgiveness of our sins. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't think enough about that either. There is nothing, nothing more important in all of life than God's forgiveness. Why? Because the real problem we have as human beings, the problem that explains all the other problems that we have, including and especially death, is sin. Living for self. Because sin separates us from God, who is the only source of life. 
Now, if sin is the cause of all of our problems, then the greatest blessing you can have in all the world is the forgiveness of sins. And that's why in the church we talk so much about the forgiveness of sins. Because the teaching of the forgiveness of sins is not a teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the forgiveness of sins is the teaching of the Bible. And so then... Because forgiveness takes away sin and all its consequences, including death itself. Because forgiveness restores our relationship with God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to bring the world's God's forgiveness. As we'll hear soon, the angels tell the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So at Christmas time, Jesus Christ was born to die. Die on the cross. And by the way, that's the reason he is the only savior of mankind. Because no one else other than this man called Jesus has died for the sins of humanity. No other human being has canceled mankind's debt to God than this Jesus Christ. He's done it for all people. And so we read in our gospel lesson, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Christmas. God becomes one of us to bring us God's forgiveness. Well, so far, John has reminded us why it's important to prepare for Jesus. But how do we prepare for him? How do we prepare for Christmas? How do we prepare for his return at the end of the world when he will judge the living and the dead? We prepare only by preparing our hearts to receive him as our savior. And how do we do this? Well, John tells us. He tells us with that one little word, repentance. Repentance literally means to have a change of mind. And specifically to have a change of mind about sin. And repentance is just not feeling sorry that we got caught in our sin. Repentance is not just feeling sorry that somehow sin has messed up our lives. That's nothing more than self-pity. Nothing honorable about that. Nothing uniquely Christian about that. That's worldly repentance, worldly sorrow. Godly repentance means that we know that we have not lived up to God's perfect expectations and that we have offended God. Repentance, of course, is the opposite of defending and rationalizing and excusing our sin. Godly repentance means actually to be terrified of God's wrath and his punishment of sin. As John told the unrepentant crowds, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Yes, repentance includes being afraid of the judgment day. As a matter of fact, we cannot continue to be Christians long term if we do not hate the remaining sin that we see in our lives. As Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, then repentance is nothing more than taking seriously God's hatred of sin and the judgment day. And so even our Lord Jesus says later in Luke's gospel, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We cannot prepare properly for Jesus coming at Christmas or into our hearts or at the end of the world 
without sorrow over our sin and confessing it to God. But not even that is enough. Was not Judas sorry for his sin? Was not Judas sorry for his betrayal of Jesus Christ? Indeed, he was. As a matter of fact, he was so overcome with sorrow that he went out and hanged himself. Why did he do that? Because he didn't believe that he could be forgiven. He thought his sin was so horrible, so enormous, that he could not be forgiven. But of course, you know the truth. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for all sins. He even died for Judas' betrayal of him. So repentance includes believing that whatever our sin may be, however bad it may be, it is forgiven. And to be forgiven means that God does not hold our sins against us. Isn't that wonderful? God does not hold our sins against us. For example, King David says in Psalm 32, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins Will not count his sins. Paul says the same thing in his second letter to the Corinthians. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. Do you have a sin or two that bothers you? Are you sorry for those sins? Have you confessed those sins to God? Do you want God's forgiveness? If you do, it's yours. It's always yours. As a matter of fact, forgiveness is always as close to you as your very own baptism. The word of God came to John and he went proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism for the forgiveness of sins. You see, this is why I constantly urge you To remember your baptism and its promises. In your baptism, God gives you the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus Christ has won for you and all people with his death upon the cross. Whenever you want God's forgiveness, there it is in your baptism. Whenever a particular sin is bothering you, you can say to yourself, this sin is forgiven by God. How do I know that? Because I've been baptized. Baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. How often do you remember this? It's never too late to start. During this time of the year in the Advent season, we are all preparing for Christmas. And there is much to do, as I said. There are gifts to buy, dinners to plan, trees to decorate, events to schedule. But all these preparations, as important as they may be, really are somewhat superficial when compared, of course, to the real meaning of Christmas. God coming into our world is one of us to save us from our sin and all of its consequences, including death. For unless our hearts are prepared for Christmas, we aren't really prepared for Christmas at all. And we certainly won't be prepared to meet him when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And so this is why it's so wonderful during this time of the year, this wonderful Advent season. It's so good to hear from our dear good friend, John. John the Baptist, who once again faithfully tells us, prepare the way of the Lord. But as a really good dear friend, John just doesn't tell us to prepare his way, but he tells us how to do that. 
by once again reminding us of our sins and pointing us to Jesus, God in human form, who brings us that forgiveness that we so desperately we need and a forgiveness that is as close to you as your very own baptism. Amen. And now the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, you know what? I've made it an executive decision. I'm going to do a good sermon twin spin. We're going to throw into the mix uh, Pastor Jeremy Rohde's uh, sermon from this last Sunday on the same text, except for he also uh, he's preaching on uh, John uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 14. Let me uh, read the whole passage again, and then uh, we'll play Jeremy Rohde's uh, sermon here. I didn't want to interrupt that. It's just too good. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eutria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see, shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And they said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This forms the basis of the sermon that you are now going to hear from Pastor Jeremy Rohde called Ready or Not. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A fire alarm screaming in the middle of the night. That's the voice of John the Baptist crying out, Escape from the flames. Flee from the fiery wrath that is to come. Plunge yourself into the waters, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of your sin, so that you might be saved and escape from the judgment flames by the waters of God's grace. For the one who comes after John is like a refiner's fire. And if you aren't dripping wet with the waters of God's mercy and forgiveness, you will be consumed. 
John is heavy. The prophet's cry is urgent. If you're looking for a church where you can sip your latte, buy Jesus merchandise, and learn the ten spiritual principles of picking lint from your navel, then the little church by the Jordan is not the place for you. Pastor John's sermons are the same every time. Baptism, repentance, the forgiveness of sins. And of course, pointing to the one who is to come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John doesn't shy away from a little moral exhortation either. He wants your whole life to be a combination of repentance and good fruit. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, the Baptist cries, for the tree that does not produce good fruit is thrown into the fire. That doesn't leave me feeling all that comfortable. You either, I hope. What else would you expect from the last and greatest prophet from a man who has locust and honey on his breath. And John's preaching is not so unlike his diet. His words are a plague of locust to the sinner who is self-secure. And yet to the sorrowing sinner, his words are sweet as honey. Either way, Pastor John will tell you how it is, whether the axe is laid to your roots in judgment or whether you have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Pastor John isn't really into being cute or tickling ears. He once called the people who gather to hear him, brood of vipers, offspring of a snake. You just might think twice before telling Pastor John that his sermon went a little long for your tastes. John makes us uncomfortable. Rightly so. He doesn't package his sermons for the Christian consumer or tidy them up for the intellectual elite. His words are visceral. You don't listen to one of John's sermons and remain unchanged. You either end up loathing Pastor John or you end up on your knees before God. That's it. Those are our options. If you loathe John's preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, you're sure also to loathe the one who comes after him. But if Pastor John leaves you on your knees before God, then you are ready to receive the one who comes after him. The one who comes to win your forgiveness by dying on the cross. To win by dying. To win by losing. That is our Lord's way. The sort of sermons John preaches make the comfortable people uncomfortable. A man whose home is the wilderness, John thrives in the very place where the rest of us would die. He calls us out to him, out of our comfortable lives, out of the sins that we've fallen secretly in love with out of the excuses we make. He calls us out into the wilderness that feels like slow death and calls us into the Jordan to be drowned, to die to our sins. Then He pulls us up one by one 
out of those waters for the forgiveness of sin. Our sins washed away that we might rise out of those waters as if from some great big holy womb, born again to live forever in newness of life. Death and life, that's heavy stuff. That's John the Baptist's message. That's the sort of preaching that precedes the coming of our Lord Jesus, the man who will know death and life, who will die for our sins and rise to life that we also might have life. He calls us to follow him, to win by dying, to win by losing. That's our Lord's way. Examine yourself, your life, and repent. And bear fruits worthy of repentance. Pastor John's message is uncompromising, urgent, the voice of God crying through the mouth of the prophet to you, calling you out of your sin to bear good fruit. Ignoring John's voice is like ignoring a fire alarm that's screaming out to save you. Put the pillow back over your head and go to sleep if you want, but then you can't blame John or God if you wake up surrounded in flames. This is the last of the great prophets crying to the world one final alarm. For the house of Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate, the house of Philip and Lysanias, the house of cards, the kingdoms of this world all come crashing down. It's just a matter of time. The house of Pharaoh came crashing down, as did the house of Caesar, as will the house of Obama or whoever happens to be president. The Bible is littered with earthly, with references to earthly kingdoms that have come crashing down. And so in every age, under the governments of this world, our Lord sends his prophets and pastors to call out those who want out to call out those who would prefer to be citizens of an eternal kingdom, a kingdom in this world, but not of this world, the very kingdom of God. And so the word of God came to John in the 15th, excuse me, came to John in the wilderness in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign. And John went out to offer citizenship in the kingdom of God not by means of a green card and a lot of paperwork. Citizenship in the kingdom of God comes when you take the watery plunge, baptized into the name of God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, John says. When company is coming over for the holidays, we prepare our houses and make straight our homes. My wife makes me do that. How much more should we prepare our souls and make straight our lives for the coming of the Lord who made us? And that's John's message. It's the Advent message. Huge message, life-changing message. Sit down, look at your life, think about it. Set it in order. For you do not know when the Lord will come, but he may come at any moment.
Ready or not, he came to the world that first Christmas morn. Ready or not, he comes to you this day. You hear his words and eat and drink at the table he has set. He is here. Ready or not, he comes at the very moment of your death, which may come at any moment, even the next. may come sooner than you think. Our dear brother, Chuck Lampy died this past week, and Chuck was well prepared for his Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord, John cries, and Chuck prepared the way of the Lord by confessing his transgressions unto the Lord, and the Lord forgave the iniquity of his sin. Chuck prepared himself to come to faith and hear God's word. Chuck prepared his lips to receive the Lord himself, his body and blood, for the forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation with God. May we, too, be so blessedly prepared. Ready or not, the prophet is crying. The Lord is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to give his life as a ransom for you. And he is coming to gather to himself all who believe, to gather you to him. Or don't you know that Christ Jesus knows who you are, knows you by name, knows every aspect of your life, shed his blood to save you from your sins. Not imagined sins, but the real sins you actually have. They're gone washed away by Him. And the sinful paths you've wandered, or that long, dark, winding road that lies behind you, you call it your past. It's of no account to Him. Make straight His path. And His path is made straight to you as our Lord Jesus Christ seeks His lost sheep and bears you up in His arms as a shepherd bears up a lamb. And the valleys of your life, those depths you've sunk to, the dark caverns of sin, every valley shall be feared, filled, every valley shall be filled, covered by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every mountain and hill that you have put between you and God shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And all flesh, your flesh, shall see the salvation of God. For the salvation of God is indeed a fleshly salvation. A fleshly incarnation of the Son of God. A fleshly redemption upon a Roman cross. A fleshly supper laid out before you. And a fleshly resurrection that is promised to you. Real literal salvation. And on the last day, our Lord destroys death forever. Beware all sinners, for the axe is laid to the root of the unfruitful tree, the tree that produces no good fruit. That's true. And that had better make you a bit uncomfortable. But take heart, you who sorrow for your sin. For the same axe has been laid to the tree from which the cross was hewn. 
The cross, too, is a tree. A tree with strange and wonderful fruit. For the Lord himself is the fruit which hangs upon this new tree of life. His body is the blessed fruit that undoes the curse of that forbidden fruit which Adam and Eve once ate. Take and eat from the tree of life, the tree of immortality. And from this fruit of the cross comes the wine that is his blood. Take and drink. It is shed for your forgiveness. And the water and the blood that flow from his pierced side fill the baptismal font that a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed to you and to your children. Or do you not know that you have been united with Christ Jesus through baptism into his bloody death, but also into his glorious resurrection? John preaches a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So does Peter when he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when Peter says, baptism now saves you. St. Paul says the same thing when he says, you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And Paul says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal in the Holy Spirit. So you have the testimony of John and the apostles that in baptism your sins have truly been forgiven by God and washed away. And when you see what our Lord has done for you, how shall you live? Live as one who has been redeemed, as one who has been reborn. Be free. Pastor John points you to simplicity and to vocation. If God's given you two tunics, share with the one who has none. If God's given you extra food, share with the one who has none. If you're a tax collector, collect only what's fair. If you're a soldier, don't abuse your power and be content with your wages. In other words, do what you already know to do. No need to go looking for more than that and no need to settle for anything less. Live the life that God has given you to live and live it in peace and quietness. And when you fall short and when you fall into sin, which you will, heed the voice of Pastor John and prepare for the Lord to come to you yet again and again and again. Repent of your transgressions and receive from God the full forgiveness of your sins. Prepare the way of the Lord. Open your lips and receive the fruit of the cross. For Jesus is the fruit of eternal life. And Jesus is the one to whom Pastor John always points. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please rise. I don't know about you, but man, did I need that. Actually, I do know about you. You needed that too. 
you needed to hear about the forgiveness of sins and what Christ has done for you all again. This is one of the reasons why from time to time I invoke the emergency gospel sermon here at Fighting for the Faith, because when we hear the terrible preaching that we hear that focuses in on us and all the things we have to do and make it sound like God is angry with us and we can never please him, we need to hear the gospel that God is pleased with us in Christ. That's the message that we need to hear. Folks, if you are growing and being challenged uh, through the work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, then strongly uh, beg, plead with you to join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew and financially support this important radio outreach so that we can continue doing the things that we're doing and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name really is what this program is all about. You can do so by visiting fightingforthefaith.com, clicking on the Join Our Crew button. It is a mere $6.95 a month. It automatically comes out of your account, and uh, it's crucial that uh, we get to a 1,000 listeners who have joined our crew. We still have a long, long way to go. Or if you'd like to uh, donate a flat amount of money, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right. Well, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I would love to get your feedback. You can email me at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter. My name there again, pirate, uh, pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his penal substitutionary death on the cross for your sins. Amen. Amen.